please turn in your copy of the scriptures to the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Uh, for those of you who have been here with us in the last two months, you know that we've been discussing how to become better servants, a sermon series I've entitled, Improve Your Serve. And, and of course, serving is a big part of the Christian life. Jesus Christ came to serve and not to be served. And in doing so, not only do we benefit from his service, but he also set the example for the rest of us, correct? We serve because he serves. And in these past few weeks, we talked about service and various different aspects of it. Now, you'll recall that we talked about uh, the core of our service, and that is uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then we talked about the characteristic, characteristics of a servant. And there we talked about, from the Gospel of Mark, how Jesus Christ picked his disciples, how he picked his team. And then, of course, we talked about a gospel-focused service. That is to say, we talked about if you are serving based on the gospel, there's going to be a particular commitment to the gospel, there's going to be a concentration on the gospel, and there's going to be a caution because of the gospel as well. And as we moved on over the last few weeks, we talked about the Lord's bond servant, and we saw that uh, as servants of Christ, we need to be people of conviction, yes, but with, we need to be people with convictional kindness. We have many people who are convicted, and they're mean about it. We talked about being convicted, yes, but with kindness and compassion. And then we talked about outdoing each other in honor. Well, what a goal that is, right? How many of you are leading? We are to serve one another by outdoing each other in honor of others and to be zealous for the things of God. I said, if, if, if there's any place in the household of God where there should be competition, this is it. Compete against each other to show honor more so to one another. Outdo each other is what we're told in the scriptures. And we looked at Deuteronomy, and we saw that as we look to serve God, we do so knowing that he's a God that can be trusted. Don't be afraid of trusting God. He can be trusted. And last week, we talked about what was probably the most difficult aspect of serving, and that is serving with a motivation of love. And there's many things that can motivate us to serve. We could do it mechanically, we could do it dutifully, we could do it monetarily. But here in Galatians, we're told that we are to serve out of love. And that's hard to do. But it's also essential. It's primary. And I thought it would be wrong for me to conclude this series of sermons on serving without touching on how God enables us to serve. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about, at least to some degree, about how God enables his people to serve. And that's how we'll wrap up this sermon series. And as I told you in the past, from there we're going to start a series on Paul's letter to Timothy, Paul's first letter to Timothy. Well, getting back to this idea of serving, there are four primary passages in the New Testament that speak about serving and how to serve and how God enables us to serve. God enables every one of his children to serve in a supernatural way. There are four crucial passages. 
1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, our text this morning, and then Romans chapter 12. And so you have two 4 chapters and two 12 chapters. Maybe that will help you remember. And what I would like to do this morning in the time that we do have is answer a few questions. Namely, at least in part, namely this. What are the spiritual gifts that God gives to us? How does he enable us? And what are they for? How many gifts are there? Which gifts no longer exist? They have ceased. And how should we understand the use, the specific use of these gifts? I'd like to answer those questions for you. And the reason I want to answer those questions is because I find that people ask me those questions. So I figured instead of having you ask again, I'll tell you. So if you listen, I'll explain. First of all, let's take a look at these spiritual gifts and what the Bible tells us is the purpose for these spiritual gifts. I want you to see how important they are as well. Uh, The Puritan John Owen, and if you could pick up any of his writings, I do recommend it. He he wrote a discourse on the Holy Spirit. Uh, Of course, it dates way back 1600s. After all, he was a Puritan. Wonderful writings, especially if you like uh, that sort of writing uh, 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 of that time. It's a rather flowery, poetic way of writing that we don't seem to possess today. But uh, Owen, more so than the style of his writing, has a lot to say in terms of content. And, and Owen writes that there is no authentic church life without the exercise of spiritual gifts. Uh, this is what he writes. He says, without which, without spiritual gifts, the church cannot subsist in the world. Those are big words. Nor can believers be useful unto one another and to the rest of mankind without spiritual gifts. Or unto the glory of Christ, as they ought to be. So you see here that spiritual gifts are extremely important to the church of Christ. In fact, spiritual gifts give this living organism, the church, it gives this living organism expression. Without the spiritual gifts, the church will not be seen. You know, people pass by our building all the time. People send me emails. People drop in just to say, oh, what a beautiful country church you have. I always invite them to come see what it's like on Sunday. But few people are interested in that. They're more interested in the appearance. Oh, it fits so nicely. At Christmas time especially. <laughs> but the truth is, my friends, that the church is seen not when it looks ornate. The church is seen when spiritual gifts are being exercised. And that's when the church is also heard. And that's when Christ is followed. When spiritual gifts are put into practice. Otherwise, the church is muted. The church is ineffectual. The church would be a spiritual quadriplegic. Living, yes, but not functional. Uh, By spiritual gifts, what I am referring to is the enabling of God in a supernatural way for Christians, for followers of Christ in the body of believers, the church, to do specialized service in God's name for one another. We are very practical people. And because we are so practical, we forget that there is a supernatural 
And what we see in the scriptures is that the supernatural is very much alive, not just in the times of Christ, but today. And God supernaturally enables all believers to do his bidding, to serve. And what you'll see if you read through the scriptures, especially in Paul's writings, he uses a particular word that he translates gift. And it's the Greek word charis. Charis actually means grace. And because grace is free, grace is a gift, often in the English it's translated gift, spiritual gift. It could be just as well translated spiritual grace. God gives to us these spiritual gifts from where we get the word as well, charisma, which is um, a divinely given attraction, a person with charisma is attractive. We also get the word charismatic from charis. We're not going there this morning. (laughs) But we do want to speak about what these gifts are. Uh, Through spiritual gifts, my friends, God is properly elevated as God's people utilize those gifts and serve him. And then the church is properly ministered to and again, there are four key passages. Do you remember what they were? 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and Romans 12. And you say, that's easy. You have notes in front of you. Yes, I do. But those are good passages to look up and read for yourself during the week. There's your homework. But the idea of spiritual gifts is not confined to just these four passages. There are other passages as well in the scriptures that speak of God's enabling, but not just in the New Testament, also in the Old Testament. In fact, if you go over to the book of Exodus, you don't have to, but uh, you'll you'll recall chapter 35, verse 30, uh, in the construction of the Old Testament tabernacle, God supernaturally, the Holy Spirit supernaturally, gave to two men, Bazalel and Oholiab, these abilities to actually construct, design, to craft the tabernacle. Now these were abilities they did not have before. And now suddenly, through the Holy Spirit, they are able. They are able. This was not a talent of theirs. This was a supernatural enabling. You see, whatever God requires of you, he enables you to do. God would never say, go and do and not be there to help you go and do. He enables you. Open with me then back to Ephesians chapter 4. And there you see one particular passage which speaks about God's gifting and God's enabling. The gift of God's enabling. With this understanding, in Ephesians chapter 4, we see that it is this gifting that makes the church function. Look at verse 4. Ephesians 4, 4. Look at the phrase there that says, one body and one spirit. I'll read the entire verse. Actually, I'll read 4, 5, and 6 to you. It reads this way. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, One faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now look at verse 7. But grace was given. 
And as I'm reading through verse 7, I'm wondering, why the contrast there? Why the word but? Well, in order to understand the contrast, go back to chapter 4, verse 1. Look at verse 1. There the people, Christian people, are called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. These gifts that God gives to us actually enable us to walk according, in a worthy way, to which God has called us. Otherwise, we're not going to do it. You see, whatever God calls you to do, he enables you. He gives you sufficient grace to endure and even to flourish. God does not say, go serve me on your own. But rather, he is clear again and again, I am there with you. And you serve him through his own power. These gifts here enable the church to act like the church. Uh, look at verses 2 and 3. Here's a church acting like the church. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh, that the world would apply these verses. But they can't, you see, they're not in Christ. We so much expect our politicians to abide by these rules, right? We expect nations, warring nations, to stop and apply these truths. How can they? Look, we have a hard time. How in the world are they going to do it outside of Christ? But we can. And we must. And I thank the Lord for how often we have. But we can do more. Notice there it says unity. In unity. Unity obviously means oneness. Notice it does not say uniformity. It says unity, not uniformity. Um, we are very distinct. We are very distinct people. You know, some churches attract very like people. That's nice, right? That's not us. Maybe you've noticed. Whenever I go into your home, I notice how different you are from everybody else. Whenever I talk to you, I notice how you are so much different than everybody else. We are very much united, but not uniform. And my friends, I think that's good. I think that's good. Now, it's much easier to be in harmony when we are uniform. Would you agree? When we all think alike, dress alike, talk alike, it's much easier. But you know what really requires God's grace and our submission to him? When there is disunity, rather, uh, what is the word? When there is no uniformity, no uniformity, and there's great amount of distinction. I thank the Lord for what he's doing in our lives, what he's doing in our lives together. We are united, but we are not uniform. And God calls on us to be united. Uh, J.I. Packer, a wonderful theologian many times over, uh, not always agreeable, but a good theologian, he writes that Christ's sole weapons for setting up and extending 
and maintaining his kingdom is what? Spiritual gifts. That's his weapon for setting up and extending and maintaining his kingdom. Spiritual gifts. And you have spiritual gifts. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has given to you spiritual gifts. We'll take a look at that in a few moments. If you jump over to 1 Peter chapter 4. Actually, you could do that for homework as well. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look it up for yourself. But you'll see there that there are two categories of gifts. Verses 10 and 11. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Two categories. God enables some people to serve, to do for the betterment of others. And God enables some people to speak for the good of others. And in some cases, God enables both speaking and serving for the betterment of the church of Jesus Christ. I do find it interesting that in many cases, unfortunately, people who have the ability to serve would rather have the ability to speak. And they think there's some sort of glory in being able to stand in front of people and speak God's word. I'll tell you, the glory is really in being able to serve and nobody watching and nobody ever knowing. There is the glory in God's eyes. We should be careful, I think, to distinguish between, however, spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. They're very distinct. Spiritual gifts are what God gives to you in order for you to serve the body. When you come to Christ in saving faith, he is going to give you, he has given you spiritual gifts. Maybe one, maybe two, maybe five, I don't know. But the fruit of the Spirit occurs when you lay your life below the authority, under the authority of Jesus Christ. You begin to develop the fruit of the Spirit. And the older you get in Christ, the more obvious it should be. I spend a lot of time praying for those who are older in Christ and you don't see the fruit of the Spirit. I begin to worry for their souls. Rightly so. The fruit of the Spirit happens when you submit to the authority of Christ in your life and you will cherish the fruit. Meanwhile, the rest of us will cherish the spiritual gifts in your life as you utilize it for the good of the church. Now, there is a list here in the scripture, in these four passages and elsewhere, of what the spiritual gifts are. Is this an exhaustive list? I don't know. I don't know. Are there more gifts than what are listed here in the scriptures? I tend to think not, but I can't say for sure. I do know this. I made a long list. And I'm going to cover as many as I can this morning with you. I did insert a copy in your worship bulletin. And if you don't have one, there should be one out there later for you. Here are the spiritual gifts that we see in these four passages that I pointed out to you. Two four chapters, two twelve chapters. And here's the first one. It's the gift of prophecy. And the gift of prophecy means that you're gifted by God, the Holy Spirit, to speak forth the word of God. To be an influencer, if you will, for God by speaking his word. Then there's the gift of, of helps or serving. Some of you have this gift and it's very obvious and I'm thankful many times over. This means that you serve others kindly. That you have this practical ability to come alongside of people with physical needs 
It's not just physical needs either. Sometimes it's spiritual or emotional needs. Sometimes people just need encouragement, and there you are. You have that ability given by God. It's not something you were born with. It's something that was created in you when you placed your faith in Christ. This desire to speak to others, to come alongside of others and help them. Then there's the gift of teaching. We're not talking here about teaching in a public school system, although that's good. We're talking here about teaching the Word of God. The ability to proclaim the Word of God, explaining what it means, teaching people how to understand and apply the Word of God. The gift of teachers, one who has the ability to clearly instruct and communicate. At times that gift needs to be refined, it needs to be honed, but nonetheless it comes from the Holy Spirit. Then there's the gift of, of a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. And obviously this is a speaking gift. And this gift describes an individual who can understand and speak forth biblical truth in such a way to skillfully apply it to a life situation. A person who can skillfully use the word of God to give wisdom, to give counsel, to draw people to a place where they can better live for Christ. Do you see yourself in any of these gifts yet? Maybe you should be putting a check to where you do see yourself. Maybe a question mark where you wonder. Then there's the gift of giving. Gifted givers are those who are able to joyfully give of their own resources. As God blesses them, they bless others. Now we can all give. We can all speak the word of God. But these are people who have a particular ability given by God and they will excel in this process. Some of you are givers. And I know that many of us have been those who benefit from your giving. I thank the Lord for that. Then there's the gift of leadership or administration. And this gifted leader is one who gives direction and provide, provides by presiding over the church of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about leadership in government per se. We're not talking about leadership in secular form. We're talking about administration of the household of God. It's something you cannot learn in school. They could try to teach you and you can learn some things. Uh, but the truth is, it, it must be from the Holy Spirit. The word there in Greek actually means to guide. And uh, to guide in the sense of directing a ship. And the person who has this spiritual gift does just that. The church is the ship. And his job is to lead the church in a proper direction. And then there's the gift of encouragement. As a pastor, I, he I hesitate to say this, but this does not come naturally to me. And for me to be an encourager, I have to think twice and hard. But it doesn't mean I should not encourage. I'm just not gifted in that way. But some of you are. And I'm so glad that you use it well and often. The gift of exhortation or encouragement. Calling others, not only to live alongside of the word of God, but encouraging them with the word of God. Exhorting them with the word of God. 
bringing comfort to them uh, when their faith is weak or when they're facing trials. And then there's the gift of mercy, which is very similar. Very similar. Uh, The gift of mercy is obvious to those who are compassionate towards those who are in distress. It's a very important gift. We, We need more of it. Uh, This person easily shows sympathy and is sensitive to those who are in need, to those who are hurting. Listen, if you drive through the borough and you look and say, wow, when are these people going to get it together? Look at them. Go to work. You do not have the gift of mercy. (laughs) See, the gift of mercy sees the circumstances and understands it. But they're still sympathetic and would like to help. Now, we should all be merciful. Aren't you glad God didn't say, get to work? Instead, he said, come to me just as you are, and I will save your soul. Why? Because he is a merciful God. Then there's the gift of faith. Now, all believers have, to some degree, faith, right? We we come to Christ on the basis of faith. We, We believe in him. But here we're talking about more than saving grace. We're talking here about the spiritual gift of faith exhibited in in a believer's ability to strongly believe in Christ no matter what the circumstances. To trust in him and lead others to be able to trust no matter what they may be facing. No matter what the headlines say, no matter what the diagnosis is, to be able to say, I still trust in the Lord. What a gift that is. Do you have the gift of faith? And then as you see here from our text, Ephesians chapter 4, you have the gift of various church offices. I'll read it to you. Uh, uh, Verses 11 and 12, it reads this way. And he gave the apostles, that's one gift, the prophets, another we spoke of. Here's one more. The evangelists, the shepherds, that's pastoring, and teachers. So you see here five different gifts. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And all of all these gifts, what we notice here is that the gift of apostleship no longer exists. They, are, they have come and are long gone. Uh, it's through the apostles that we have the word of God. And now that we have the word of God, we don't need apostles anymore. And then we step into some rather controversial Gifts, gifts which people say, hey, ho, 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 you can't say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> These are gifts that are sometimes referred to as sign gifts. Other people will refer to them as ecstatic gifts. And then some people will call them the gifts that have ceased. And the reason they have ceased is because there's no longer any use for them. They have fulfilled their purpose. They were sign gifts. The sign is already here, and so we no longer need them. And that being... They were to show that the word of God, the apostles were speaking the truth. And now that we have the completed word of God, we no longer need those signs. We have God's word. And one of them is healing. People do not possess the gift of healing anymore. That's not to say that God does not heal. He does. He does often. But people do not possess the gift of healing. If they did, our hospitals would be filled with these men and women with the gift of healing. Our mortuaries would be filled with these people raising the dead. Are they? No. Why? Because nobody has these gifts. But God does use prayer and his people to heal people. 
but nobody has that gift. For example, I could go, because I have the ability, the God-given ability, to teach the Word of God, I could go from here to another pulpit, to another church, to another church, and I often do, and teach the Word of God. I exercise the gift readily. And likewise would be the case with somebody with the gift of healing. But we don't see that, do we? Why? Because that gift no longer exists. It was a sign so that when Peter said, this is the word of God, and they would say, well, how do I know? He said, well, let me show you. And he would heal. He would raise the dead. And they would say, oh, now I believe. Then there's the gift of miracles. Of course, healing would be a miracle. But this is a broader idea, more so than just healing. Um, the word here, miracle, in 1 Corinthians 12 in particular, literally means the power to achieve something by applying God's power. So, so the idea here is a, a miracle through the power of God's ability. And yes, God still does do miracles. They are not as frequent as we would ask. We're often asking for miracles. But God still does do miracles. Uh, in this context here, as we're speaking of spiritual gifts, the idea here is that through an individual, God would actually reverse the laws of nature. That's a miracle, a reversal of the laws of nature that God created. And that gift no longer exists either. It's not that God can't do miracles, it's that he's not, he has not given any longer that ability for people to exercise. And here's probably the most controversial one, and that's the gift of speaking in tongues. The gift of tongues is also a temporary sign gift. And though people argue with me uh, quite often on this topic, I've noticed that most of the disagreement is not based on biblical study, hermeneutics, but rather it's based on experience. Well, you can't say that. I've spoken in tongues. Well, you can't say that. My grandmother speaks in tongues, or, or whatever. And I say, well, I, I'm not going to debate your experience, but I will debate the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? And my friends, that's where we always have to go. Because experiences can be rather dubious. Experiences can be rather deceitful. But the word will not. So go back to the word of God. And here we have yet another sign gift. And speaking in tongues was actually just that. We see it in Acts chapter 2 where the apostles, the disciples are speaking in tongues. Why? To prove that this is the word of God. That they are the men of God. And they spoke in languages that people understood. People from various regions were in Jerusalem. They did not speak the language. Now the, uh, uh, the disciples will speak their language and they would hear in their language and they would understand. And what do we see in the book of Acts? Many, by the thousands, believed. They heard the gospel in their own language by people who did not speak their language. Miraculous, yes. Supernatural, absolutely. And we don't need tongues today. Why? Because the word of God has already been given to us. This is God's completed word. We don't need sign gifts to prove this is the word of God. What do we need? We need people to read it. Read it and you'll see it. And along with speaking in tongues, there's also the gift of interpretation of tongues, which would be then if somebody were to speak a foreign language and the rest of the group did not understand well, the interpreter who did not know that language would suddenly be able to interpret that language. 
And people would say, oh, this must be of God. And most of us would agree. By the way, there is a, a sermon, a very good sermon. It's the best one I've heard on the topic. Preached not far from here. It was preached here in New Jersey by a theologian by the name of O. Palmer Robertson. And you can catch it online. You can read it. You can listen to it. Uh, very uh, well stated, uh, well spoken sermon. A wonderful Bible teacher, O. Palmer Robertson. And the, the sermon is entitled, Tongues Today? Question mark. Tongues today, question mark. Listen to it. You'll learn quite a bit from it. You'll notice something about these spiritual gifts. Again, they are supernatural enablings, but notice the three things they do. First of all, the spiritual gifts exalt God. Secondly, they're designed to edify the people of God, the church. And thirdly, they're designed to evangelize the lost. Three E's, exalt God, edify the saints, and evangelize the lost. That's what they're designed for. And as I said before, sometimes people misconstrue a spiritual gift with a natural talent. Yes, God can use your talents, and he would like to. But your talents are not your spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are what God has given you, the ability God has given to you, after you placed your faith in Christ. And keep this in mind, that Satan is very able to counterfeit spiritual gifts. He is able to imitate them. Why? To deceive the people of God. And to cause consternation and confusion within the body of Jesus Christ. The church is a living, breathing organism, my friends that functions on the basis of the ministry of each member. Each one is needed, and your spiritual gift is important. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you'll notice there that the Bible describes us as a body of which Jesus Christ is the head, and each one of us has a spiritual gift by which we function within the household of God. And some of those, some of those functions are very obvious. Obviously, everybody's watching and looking at me, listening to me right now. Some people, have, some people have spiritual gifts which nobody will ever see. Romans 12, or rather, 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of that. Gifts that others would not see, just like we have body parts that we cover. Uh, we have body parts we don't know what they do yet. Uh, what is the appendix for? <laughs> Maybe you're an appendix. But God knows what you're there for. And God is going to use you. By the way, I don't think you're an appendix. <laughs> you should not be removed. <laughs> My friends, bodies that have amputations or portions that don't function are called what? Handicap. Sickly. And likewise with the Church of Christ, if you are not utilizing your spiritual gift, you are handicapping the body of Christ. Find what your spiritual gift is, hone it, refine it, and use it. Let me make one last point this morning. How do we seek and how do we use our spiritual gifts? Keep in mind that that spiritual gift that God gives to you is for the good of God's glory, the good of God's people, and the good of those who are yet to hear the gospel of Christ. Spiritual gifts are not for your edification or for your self-aggrandizement. It's not for your glory at all. 
It's for you to serve others with. When we come together, we do so in order to edify one another and to glorify Christ. And then we leave here with the purpose of evangelizing those who do not yet know Christ. So our focus should not be on the gifted, but rather on the gifter. That's what we do with our spiritual gifts. We, we focus them on the one who gives it to us. That's our purpose. All believers are granted a spiritual gift. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse 8. Verse 8 makes it clear that God gifts each one of us. Now, it's a passage that uh, requires more study for sure, so we're only going to take a little tidbit of information from it. But notice what it says here, verse 8, Ephesians 4. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. It's actually a quote from the Old Testament book of Psalm 68. And whatever these gifts are that is spoken here in Psalm 68 and Ephesians 4, Included in these gifts is the fact that God has ordained supernatural enabling for the people of Christ, for the church. Look at verses 11 and 12. And you see, once again, a list of those gifts, in part. Now look at verses 7. Well, 7. It says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given, charis, was given to each one of us, to who? Every single one who professes Christ. So don't think that you have nothing to contribute to the household of God. Every child here is endowed with God's enabling so that you can serve the body of Christ wherever you go. So discover it, refine it, and use it. Spiritual gifts are distributed according to God's choosing, not our own. Imagine if every Christian wanted the gift of teaching. Where would be the rest of the serving? Where would be the mercy? Where would be the encouragement? Where would be the giving? You see how God in his wisdom has distributed those gifts in various forms to his people. I assure you, you have at least one spiritual gift. I would assume you have more than one discover what it is. How do you discover? Well, you can take a test and see what is your, your proficiencies, what are your propensities. That's the American way of doing it. Well, just take a test and see where you land. What kind of personality do you have? That's nice. You want to do that, feel free. But this is what I recommend. Start serving. You have the list. You have the word of God. Make yourself useful in the household of God. And you will discover soon what it is God has enabled you to do and what he has not. What he has not. But start serving. And soon you will know. Let me close by reading verses 15 and 16 to you. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love when each part is working properly we are built up in love spiritual gifts are what the body of Christ is equipped with so that like a human body 
we will properly perform and grow and build ourselves up in love. So again, my friends, discover your spiritual gift. If you need an opinion, ask me. I'm pretty good with opinions. I'll tell you what I see and what I don't see. But you could also ask the closest people to you. Certainly ask the Lord. Ask the Lord in prayer. But discover your spiritual gift and use it. And use it well. Use it often in the household of God. Let me pray. Our Lord and Savior, how good it is to know that you equip us to do what you call us to do. You are good. You are mightily good. And for that, we thank you. Amen.